Bullshit. I'm Amy. And I'm Stuart. And you're listening to the podcast that loves to hate running. We really hate it. And we love it and we hate it. It's a complicated relationship, isn't it? It's very complicated. It's quite abusive as well in some cases. Absolutely, yeah. Um, This is episode 10 of Running Is Bullshit. And here's what's coming up today. We've got straight away, we've got the competition winner. We'll be announcing our competition winner. Our first ever competition. I say first. We'll probably have more, maybe. We'll be following up on the last episode and talking about more running wankers and what you think makes a running wanker. We've got the usual bullshit running news and we've got a fantastic interview with the wonderfully named Hope Virgo. Hey. Yes, absolutely fantastic interview um, talking about some quite personal issues and bringing in some of the discussions we've had on previous podcasts. It's almost like we planned it. Yeah, it's kind of a little different for us because it's not quite so much complaining. It's like an actual genuine really interesting mental health thing yeah and some really serious issues covered so well worth a listen uh, while we're here i want to say happy birthday to sbc i know sbc gets a lot of love on twitter so happy birthday to her she just got loads of vaseline sent to her for a birthday <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to comment on that <laughs> have a slippery birthday <laughs> yeah, have a slippery birthday that's amazing um i've got some bullshit to share this week oh it's my usual ass update i've been doing yoga to try and help with the flexibility and the strengthening thing. I haven't hated it completely. However, I went last Sunday and pulled a muscle in my back so that I couldn't walk on Monday. Uh, I had to go to the physio, who sorted it out pretty well, actually. I was pretty much fine by Tuesday and Wednesday. It was absolutely great. But with all that, I did get my bum touched by a Commonwealth silver medalist. So that's pretty good. There's lots lots to unpack there, I think. Okay, go on. Okay, firstly, you went to yoga and you got injured. Yeah, I went to yoga to stop me getting injured, and I got a really nasty injury. I don't imagine that yoga injuries are very common, but I'm not a yogi. Is that what they're called, a yogi? Uh, yeah. I think, I'm not like a yoga expert, so maybe injuries are quite common in yoga, but I can imagine that they're perhaps not, because it's lots of gentle stretching, isn't it? Well, I'm really shit at yoga, <laughs> so that's probably why. And this one's not actually that gentle, it's quite active. Oh, right, okay. It's quite hard. So you went to do like the cross training, the stretching thing, everything you should be doing. Yeah. You know, people always say you need to do yoga and it actually made things worse. I made it worse, yeah. And then, so that's the first bit. Yeah. And then you've had your bum touched by a Commonwealth silver medalist. Yeah, that's not bad, is it? Yeah, you need to expand on that a bit. Though. Oh, she was the physio. Right. Oh, okay. So it wasn't something like in the way. I didn't go room. to the physio and then on the way home got my bum touched. <laughs> it's not like a service you can call in as far as I know. <laughs> so, you know, that was nice. Something to put on your CV, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So that, that made things better. I've also got more bullshit. Mm. I was watching the um, indoor athletics yesterday, and the 1500 meter record was broken by a 19 year old called Samuel Tafera. But the thing that really pisses me off about it is that he didn't celebrate. And I hate watch. I love track and field, but I hate watching it when someone gets a record and they don't celebrate. So anticlimactic. It really pisses me off. It's like the big one was Wade Van Niekerk, who he ran 400 meters. He was nobody. He was in lane eight. He smashed Michael Johnson's world record, which no one saw coming, and he just carried on doing his lap of honour and didn't smile. I'm like, what's wrong with you? So was the commentator saying, like, that's, you know... They were going mad, because no one (laughs) expected it. He was no one, you know, on the outside lane, running on his own, basically, and he broke Michael Johnson's world record. And he didn't didn't react in any way, and was like... That's millennials for you, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. They're about everything, you know, whatever, who cares? <laughs> and what isn't bullshit, though, in the same competition yesterday, uh, Laura Muir got the British one-mile indoor record. And I just want to say, because I fucking love watching Laura Muir mm. run, 
because she on a lot of these competitions she pretty much runs on her own because mm. none of the other British women can touch her so she just runs on her own and sets British records usually indoors mm. and she just runs on her own she doesn't mess around she just grits her teeth and she just fucking runs and I love watching that straight to the point yeah yeah she <laughs> doesn't she doesn't mess around there's no strategy it's not about not about winning the race she just runs as hard as possible I suppose she doesn't need a strategy if no one can touch you just like yeah I'm just gonna go you know I'm just gonna run whereas yeah. like you know people like Mo Farah or whatever it's neck and neck they're having to think when do I kick when do I not she's like who cares just get it done go home oh love her so good uh, coming up now oh it's competition time that was the competition theme that we just we just debuted there off the top of my head Amazing. Thank you, everyone, for the reviews. Uh, I've got to say, I'm really surprised we had no bad reviews. We kind of had a thinly veiled threat, though, when we announced the competition. Yeah. Yeah, because I sort of very passive-aggressively said, you don't have to leave good reviews. But I think people interpreted that as I intended. Like, if you leave us a bad review, we're not putting you in the, you know, in the pot to win. (laughs) Well, I was a little surprised that no one just said... Just doing a review to get a bag, lol. <laughs> I thought there'd be at least one of those, but no, they're all very nice. So thank you very much yes. for those reviews. Thank they're you. very, very kind. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to draw random number, and that's going to equate to my list that I've got, and then that person is going to win. Hey, right. So we've got a random number generator. It's all happening live. I need some sort of type countdown or something. Uh, well, a, a <laughs> countdown to you clicking a button. <laughs> yeah, I've got to build in the suspense. Okay, uh, three, two, one. Hey! It's number four. Number four is Sarah Cooper. Yay! Congratulations, Sarah. Sarah Cooper. You have won a ultra cool I Am Rumbox Light bag. Congrats. I hope it's everything you wanted and more. Absolutely. Uh, we'll be in touch to let you know how we can get that to you. And a big thank you to Oliver Primus, who sent us the bag in the first place. And Oliver as a thank Primus. you. Oliver Primus. <laughs> Though, unfortunately, Oliver Primus has been knocked into second place now, hasn't he, in terms of cool names? Well, I think Oliver Primus is the arch enemy of Hope Virgo. Do you think? Yeah. Because I kind of see Oliver Primus as a Transformer. (laughs) Yes, definitely. (laughs) I think it's just the Optimus Prime kind of ever so slight similarity. But Hope Virgo sounds like a superhero. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe they, would they be enemies or would they be like working together? Um, I think. In terms of a narrative that we can build for fun, let's say Oliver Primus is the bad guy. I think so, yeah. Perhaps they used to be friends and they became enemies. Yes, yeah. That's something, always more compelling, isn't something it? Something terrible happened. There's a dark secret yeah. behind Oliver Primus's <laughs> evil demeanour. <laughs> That's a really odd way of saying thank you to Oliver Primus. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, thanks. And as a thank you to him, uh, check out his website, 405.com. Very, very cool review site. So let's dive into some of the feedback we've had on last episode's topic. Yeah, we're talking about running wankers. So, um, Dallas on Twitter. Was this on Twitter? Uh, these are all on Facebook. Uh, so they say, runners who take their tops off when the temperature is ever so slightly higher than average. I don't want to see that face palm emoji. No, no one wants to see that. No. Put it away, wear a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Especially like, you know, when it's actually quite cold. Yeah. And they're taking their tops off. It's like, chill out, man. Like, and actually when it's really hot, it actually doesn't keep you cooler. No. Having a t-shirt on is better because it keeps direct sun off you. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 exactly. Health when and I, safety, you don't want to get burnt. When I ran in New York, I ran in Central Park and just like none of the men there own shirts. They're just all running around in little shorts and topless. It seems they? quite a common like American thing, yeah. doesn't it? Not to wear like a shirt running. Like yeah. when I see like posts on Facebook on running groups that are international, it's like a lot of runners who are women saying, well, why can't we just run in our sports bra when men are running without their tops? And I'm thinking... 
I don't see many men running without their tops on in the UK, but yeah, yeah. I think it's more an American oh, thing. Oh, it does happen. It's awful. It does happen. It, yeah, and it races as well. Like, oh. keep your top on at races, mate. Where are you, you going to put your number? Oh, when they put the number on their shorts. Because oh, no. you know they're going to take the t-shirt off and just wear the, t- well, just wear the number. Okay. <laughs> Liz says, people who complain about park run like it's a race they've paid for. Oh, gosh. Of yeah. course, that's always one. <laughs> David Sinclair says, trying to veer someone off the course rather than let them overtake you. Happened to me at Barry Island Park run at the finish. So that kind of relates to Liz's um, yeah. comment there. Blatantly understating impressive performances. Oh, yeah, I hate those people. Oh, that was two separate things. Yeah. 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 They've done really, really well, and they're like, yeah, it was all right. Oh, it's That's just, okay. you know, like a five-minute mile for 10K. Oh, just a bit, of a bit of a tempo run. Yeah, I did all right. <laughs> How did you do? Oh, I finished first. What do you lead with that? Come on. <laughs> I saw something on um, Strava Wankers where uh, some guy had posted like, oh, just out for a slow run with the wife. And uh, Strava Wankers on Twitter had commented saying, well, I think, I can't remember his name now. It was like Barry or something. He says, well, Barry, your heart rate suggests you were struggling to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> just let everyone know it was a slow run just in case people judge me yeah don't judge my you know my pace I was running with the wife you right. know. <laughs> yeah. uh, Hugh says where do I start he's oh. always got plenty to complain about he says people who ignore the basic rules of a race such as if it says no headphones then it's no headphones I'm sorry you've trained for 12 weeks using headphones but maybe you should have read the rules before you trained See, that's really annoying in the big races where there's a good reason for not wearing headphones yeah. because you need to be able to hear people around you yeah. and you need to be able to get out of the way if an ambulance is coming or a paramedic on a bike is coming. It's just... Well, to me, if a good reason is they say you're not allowed. Yeah, If yeah, they say yeah. you're not allowed and you'll be disqualified if you have them, well, then don't wear them. Don't wear them. It's yeah. easy as that. Yeah. He also says gangs of runners on a small path that don't give way to those coming in the opposite direction. Can I also talk about walking wankers that do this as well? Yeah. Like... Those people, and this is when you're running and when you're walking, but especially when you're running because you're probably going to have to overtake them or move around them. But those people who walk like four abreast across the path, mm-hmm. and they can see you running towards them, and they they have this thing where they like they lock eyes with you as if I'm not going to move. Yeah. Now, if people go to move, I will if there's if it's safe to, I will run out into the road and, and make you know give them plenty of space. If they're not going to move, making no effort, I will shoulder check a bitch. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. Good. And then a good passive aggressive. Oh, sorry. Oh. Like maybe if you've moved, I wouldn't have to, you know, mow you down. Yeah, I do like a as you do kind of squeeze past them. Excuse me. Just like excuse huh, me. Showed them with my with my small comment after I got past them. Knock <laughs> a small child down. Take the weakest down in the pack. Make a path. <laughs> I do not mess with Amy. Wow. Jane says dropping litter. If you can carry a full gel, etc., why drop it? Wouldn't you have eaten it? Very wankery thing to do, in my honest opinion. Yeah, people do just drop so much litter. You know what? Yeah, I'll be walking, um, just like out on my everyday walk in the street, and I'll see like energy gel packets, yeah. empty energy gel packets. It's like why? If you've got that energy gel in your pocket, you can put it in your pocket again once it's empty. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's full blown uh, wankery dropping litter in all cases, but it really is. you know you think runners especially because you are probably running those same routes every day. Like, why wouldn't you want to keep your route tidy? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. David Brown says, when a group leave people behind, no need for it at all. Leaders have to remember that when they're leading a group, it's not for their benefit, but for the benefit of the group. I think there's some, uh, there's a story behind that one, don't you? <laughs> I think David Brown got left behind a lot. got left behind. <laughs> some say he's still wandering oh, around right now. Poor David Brown. I, I checked, he's not in our group, so it's okay. I was going to say, is he like, is he texting from somewhere lost? He's made a makeshift like 10 to the shelter. When groups leave you behind. <laughs> he's got abandonment issues. It's been two years. <laughs> don't worry, David, we'll never leave you behind. <laughs> Ian 
Dirty bastards that blow snot out their nose whilst running. Wankers that don't turn their Strava off and then drive home. There's two there. And there's a very interesting emoji. How would you describe that? I would say that's kind of a set of uh, letters, symbols, and emojis, Mm. uh, which makes a kind of a a masturbation sign picture there. That's lovely. Thanks. Very creative. Very creative and awful. First of all, so um, it's not rockets. Yeah, and and spitting in general. I think I understand... Well, actually, maybe I don't. I've never had to spit, but I understand some runners do have to spit when they're out running. I don't know. I mean, occasionally... You might need to, but some people do it a lot. Yeah, like too much. And I'm like, yeah. you're getting dehydrated from this. That's I've, actually dangerous. Now. I've seen things online of like tips on how to do like a snot rocket. Yeah, you have to learn. It's a skill, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've never had to do one. Like, I just let my nose run. My nose runs faster than I do, but it's just part of being a yeah. just let it run. Like, you know. Just wipe on your t-shirt like yeah. everyone else. Yeah, 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 exactly. But do check around you, especially in a race before you spit. Yeah, I know people that have been spat on in yeah. races. Yeah, because especially if the wind, you know, you got to check the wind direction yeah. and all that, it's not... I imagine getting snot rocks done. Oh, oh. God, vile. Oh. And yeah, also not turning your Strava off. I think a lot of people have done that, but you need to delete the run. <laughs> or yeah. whatever. Can you edit a run? You can crop that? the end of it. Can you? Oh, brilliant. But people Tell don't, because they're Well, twats. you should, yeah. <laughs> I think you can only do it on the browser, not the app. Oh, right, So that's okay. probably why a lot of people well, probably don't use it. Well, if you can't, if you've only got the app, delete it and manually input it. Like. Yeah input the actual one I like to flag runs on Strava yeah. oh, occasionally yeah. if I'm just looking at a segment and I'm just curious oh how, I wonder how fast the quickest guy went and it was like um, the second place was a minute first place is 22 seconds I like yeah. well, I'm looking at that that was in a car flag that shit yeah. it makes me feel big yeah. <laughs> I like it so Strava wankers they'd be a good guest uh, Strava wankers if anyone from Strava wankers who, or anyone who knows Strava wankers is listening we would love to have you on, as a guest I love Strava wankers <laughs> So there is a, a few more examples of running wankers, mm-hmm. but we still want to hear about your running wankiness. Um, so you can tweet us at running is BS, Facebook running is bullshit, and email running is bull at gmail.com. Let us know about running wankers. Let us know about your running bullshit in general. You know what time is? What time is it? Oh, shit. Am I supposed to react to this? <laughs> was, was that a... Build the anticipation. Okay, sorry. Go on. We're running, we're running, bullshit news. It's always just freestyles with me. I know, I can tell. People email me privately and say, Amy, did you go to like the London School of Theatre and Drama and learn how to dance and sing and, you know, perform there? And I say, no, it's natural talent. Wow. And that's, you know, I can just ad-lib these these amazing theme tunes. And that's just, I was just born with it. So born with it. Thanks. It's brilliant. (laughs) Just having a sip of tea there, by the way. Uh, Darjeeling tea we've got today. Some loose leaf Darjeeling. How are you finding it? I really like it. You said you didn't like it. You know, I tried it the other day. I didn't like it that much. I'm liking it more today. Perhaps I'm getting into it. Is it how it's been brewed? Have you it brewed probably it before is. in one of those? I have not specifically. It lets the leaves breathe. Yeah, if anyone's in Norwich and they're in the Castle Mall, pop in the Tea Junction. Lovely shop. Please sponsor us. <laughs> That'd be fine. So, bullshit running news. First one, Amy, is yours. Mine. Okay. So, the first story is about Susanna um, Gill, who has broken the world record in running seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. That's a lot. Yeah. It's called the... Do people call it the triple seven or just seven, seven, seven? I'd not heard of this before I read this thing, so I don't know the correct terminology. Say it confidently and people will believe that's what it's called. The triple seven. She's done the triple seven, lads. She's done the triple seven. She's done it, man. The triple seven, wow. So, um, the triple seven was first completed by Sir Randolph. 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 Ranoff. <laughs> You've never heard the name Ranoff before, have you? I've never heard the name Ranoff before. You've never heard of Ranoff Fines? Fines. 
He ran the uh, triple seven. He's the first person. <laughs> no, until today I didn't know about the triple seven. So he ran it in two thousand and three, uh, and since then fewer than two hundred people have actually done the triple seven. So it's quite hardcore. So um, Susanna did it in twenty two hours and fifty minutes and forty two seconds in total. One hundred eighty three miles. That's a lot, isn't it's it? It's not bad, is it? It's a lot. The bloody lot. So the marathon she did, so she did. She had to do it on consecutive days, didn't mm-hmm. she? I think that's what she did. Um, so she did one in Antarctica, which is mad. I think that was a yeah. seven. Because I was reading as well that after her Antarctica marathon, she won all the other marathons. Yeah. Like that's mad. She not only has she been running seven marathons over seven days, she won them. After? Well, the thing is, people do this. It's now kind of done as a package thing. Right. So you sign up, you pay like thousands of dollars, right. and they fly you. From Antarctica, Cape Town, Perth, Dubai, Madrid, Santiago, and Miami yeah. to do all these races, and there are like specific races for that. I'm not sure if they have extra people in each one. They oh, probably do. Right. I was going to say because if it was like just a normal, I read it. I was like, that can't be right. Yeah, I think Randall Fiennes did it as like a one-off to start with, as just a thing for him to do because yeah. he's one of those people that's just like, oh, I went for a challenge just because it was there. Yeah. One of those kind of people yeah. has got enough money to do that, and now they do it as like this massive kind of package holiday. I basically, you'd have to because like working out the logistics of that, of yeah. how you get to like these different. Con- within to do one a day. ones that have marathons on. That must be shit as well, sat it, on a plane. Yeah. You know what I mean? After you, not only after you've run a marathon, but then you've got to sit on a plane for X number of hours and think, right, I've got to do another one in yeah. Antarctica. I hear it's really cold there. Uh, first one in Antarctica was three hours and 54. Damn, like that. And her quickest one then was Madrid, 3.11. So she's a pretty handy runner. Yeah, yeah. To be running that fast after, you know, consecutively is mad. So yeah, that's fantastic. Like, amazing. And bullshit as well, because she has no business running that fast for seven days consecutively. Yeah. Ultimately, this always uh, when we're talking about these impressive acts, we hate them for it. Yeah. Yeah. No business doing that. Keeping on the ultra running theme, Ben Cogger of Duluth, Minnesota, got stung in the mouth and still broke the race record. He was doing the Voyageur 50 mile trail ultra marathon and about 50 miles in, uh, him and another runner apparently aggravated a hornet's nest got stung in the calf by a hornet, which I imagine hurts quite a lot. A couple of miles later, so they must have been following him. A couple of miles later, they were really pissed off. Stung him in the mouth. Well, luckily Ben is a beekeeper and he's kind of used to getting stung. Mm. So it wasn't that bad for him, apparently. And he still did it in six hours and 40. And he beat the record for that course, which is set by Scott Jurek, who's basically the greatest ultra runner ever. Yeah. So he did all right. Yeah. Stung in the mouth. Yeah, I'd go home after that. Yeah. No. But I suppose on one of those kind of races, 50 miles in, you probably have to finish it. Yeah, yeah, you can't really be a baby about these, you know. I I suppose everything else is hurting at the same time as well. That was probably like a nice distraction from your legs. Yeah, something else to think about, isn't it? (laughs) Have you seen photos online of dogs that get stung in the mouth? That's one of my favourite things. I mean, they're horrible because the poor dogs have been stung in the mouth. But they look so funny. Yeah, yeah. It's just like big cartoon dogs, like with just a big inflated face. (laughs) And they just look really sad. Have you ever been stung by anything when you've been running? Uh, I got stung by a wasp before a parkrun once. And that was quite oh, annoying. That was quite annoying. See, I've never been stung by anything in my life. I've never, never. been stung by a wasp, a bee, anything in my life. It's because you're vegan. It is. They know I'm a friend. Yeah. You know, the bees are like, nah, she's all right. They're letting, you know, she lets me have my honey. Yeah. I'll let her go about her day without being stung. Yeah, I've eaten thousands of wasps, so I kind of deserved it, I think. <laughs> you know what? Don't tell the other vegans... But if you want to kill a wasp, kill a wasp because they're bastards. 
They don't do anything. Okay, this is where I get like the people in that are like biologists oh. or whatever saying, actually, wasps do this, this, and that. You know what how do you, wasps do? You know he had loads of fans before. No, not anymore. Tweeters, what do wasps do? <laughs> what is their contribution to the ecosystem? I'd like to know. Uh, I believe some um, help germinate figs. We don't eat figs. Figs are all right, but if it was a choice between wasps and figs, you know, get rid of the wasps. But then if you got rid of the wasps, you wouldn't have the figs. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I You can live without figs. I don't, yeah, I can live without figs. Okay. If it means getting rid of all the wasps. Okay. Wasps are just bastards. We don't need them. Okay, let's move on from wasps. Wasps are bullshit, we know. That's fine. <laughs> let's move on. So our third story is about which stories that I love, and it sounds horrible, but I love hearing about cheaters getting caught. Amazing. It's one of my favourite things, you know, instant justice, you know, like, oh, I love it. So somebody has been banned from Hull Marathon for not actually running the race. Now, when I read this headline, I assumed it was just, you know... I'd be like, shit, I'm, I've been banned from the whole marathon. I've never run it either. <laughs> Are they going to ban me for that? That's harsh. If you haven't run Hull Marathon, you're not... You're banned. You're banned, basically. It's a local race for local people. <laughs> so when I read this, I didn't think that, um, but I, w- I am thinking it now as I read it. Uh, but I thought, you know, oh, it's somebody who's been caught cheating on the race. Uh, just that year no 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 it's been for apparently what four years they've been they've been cheating at this race so and they've been banned for five years they've not said who it is of course but apparently officials were alerted by a tip off from another runner I'm assuming that's someone who's gone through the results and not somebody who saw them course it could have been I don't know yeah so it's someone that's entered the race they've gone over the start line and the finish line and the finish line but there's no evidence of them being anywhere in between be interesting to see a course map for whole marathon because I'm always when I hear about these things I don't want to look at the course map and see where they would have cut because oh, yeah. some marathons have really like um, obvious places where yeah. you can cut. I'd like to know who reported them as well. Who's the snitch? Yeah, <laughs> snitches get stitches. No, they don't. <laughs> In, for race cheaters, they get celebrated. Yeah. They yeah, should, yeah, they should yeah. get free entry next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, what a pen entering the same race. And I think they said they're from East Anglia, so they're traveling all the way up to Hull. They're probably you know a good couple of hours. Yeah. Just to get out of East Anglia and then to get to Hull. <laughs> and what is the point for four years in a row? What's the point just to get medals? Hull Marathon as well. Like, it's not like it's a London, is it? Or something no, like that. It's, it's Hull. I'm sure Hull is lovely. <laughs> Very. Maybe it's so grim he's, he like enters it. Or she. Do we know if it's a he or she? Uh, no, I don't think so. I can't remember whether they use like, pronouns in the article. But he or she entered it and they probably thought, this year I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the Hull Marathon. And they start running. You know what? They think, I fucking hate Hull. Yeah. I just want to get it done. And they cut, like, I'm yeah. dumb. <laughs> Balance. <laughs> Next story is you as well. Oh, this is a horrible one. Uh, let's, start, let's try not to dwell on this too much, because we could talk about this for so long yeah. and still not get anywhere. So this is about Castor Semenya. And of course, this has been the news ongoing since, when was it? Like 2009, something like that? It's when? been a long time. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure most of our listeners are already familiar with um, Castor Semenya and how uh, there's been a lot of controversy around her um, gender, around her sex, really, rather than her gender, her sort of biological sex. The Times reported that the IAAF lawyers will say that Semenya is a biological male as well as being classified as a female. Yeah, straight away, that was just made up. Right. So the yeah. IAAF then had to come out and say, no, we weren't going to say that. Her lawyers yeah. had to come out and say, no, we weren't going to say that. So has she been, because um, I know it was around 2009 when she had this test, didn't she? Mm. Some sort of test to determine her sex, which in itself is so, sounds so intrusive and yeah. so sort of humiliating for her. Yeah. Like, how awful is that? So has it been that 
I'm gathering that she's had to undergo some other tests in order to complete. She probably has been. I imagine she's been. She's probably had like blood and urine tests yeah, probably yeah, every yeah. week for the last ten yeah. years. I imagine as well. And I think at the moment, what they do it on the basis of is levels of testosterone. Yeah. And what um, Semenya has had like uh, support from the South African government and stuff to get this lawsuit against um, the IAAF. That's so hard to say. Isn't it, it is, isn't it? The, the IAAF I- was bullshit. Yeah, yeah. The IAAF. So, um, and what her lawyers are saying is she just has a sort of um, genetic benefit in terms of her testosterone levels, in terms of um, how her body is very muscular and very powerful, uh, that may resemble the same testosterone levels as a man, but she's mm. not a man. Yeah. She's a woman. She was born as a woman. She was raised as a woman. She's a woman, yeah. you know? You know, every person who wins a gold medal in the Olympics has some sort of genetic advantage. That's why they're the best in the world, mm. you know? So, But they're picking this on her just because it's to do with testosterone. Yeah, testosterone is a very blunt measure because it's just yeah. a single measure as well. Yeah. And there are apparently some men that if you tested their testosterone, they'd be less than the average woman. Yeah. So what, do they run as women or...? Yeah, yeah. And then the women that are higher than the men, it's, it's just like really sort of bizarre. Yeah, it's a whole messy thing because they're now introducing a thing now where they're doing testosterone testing for races between the 400 metres and the mile, which they determined to be the most influenced by that. Mm. And um, potentially, you would have to take injections to reduce your testosterone level for at least six months Mm. to compete in those races or potentially race with the men. But then this is the thing as well. They were saying that, well, if if, uh, Castor wins this case then it means that transgender athletes will be able to compete and all this. It's like, she's not transgender. This no. is, that's a separate thing. Like, yeah. of course, there needs to be um, sort of more refined guidelines and thinking about tra- trans- transgender athletes because it's becoming more commonplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously there needs to be some consideration around that because these traditional tests probably won't work, I don't know, in that context. But she's not transgender, so why is that being introduced to the argument as well? It's... It's bizarre. It's insulting to her. I guess it's kind of a, a potential precedent to set mm. for the future. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is, is you can just go round and round and round on this yeah. and there's just no solution no. that satisfies even half the people, really. No. no. It's just, it's a horrible story. It's just going to go on for a long time. I have no idea what's going to happen in the future. It's going to be pretty bad. But it's nice that Castor's had a lot of um, support from mm-hmm. not only like the South African government, but I think like the South African people as well have mm-hmm. been really behind her. And the South African government, I think, put a lot of money into the case, the hiring her lawyers and stuff. So it's also nice to hear that there is support for her as well. Yeah. We'll finish on a slightly what I find a very funny story. It's kind of an inconvenient story to some. Durham Park Run had to cancel last week because they rocked up on Saturday morning and there were 385 new trees blocking their course. And also, if you can, just Google the news story and just look at the picture. Because it's the funniest thing. It's just like this guy looking really dejected within a field of just, like, tr- newly planted trees. Basically, they all just kind of look like molehills. Yeah, yeah. So, like, he's in the middle of no man's land, yeah. looking out, just looking sad. It's like some, it's like a still from a surrealist film, isn't it? It's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, apparently, as, you know, I had a look on Facebook when they announced it to let people know it's cancelled. Obviously, some people are furious, saying, well, it's ridiculous. The university should have told them this was going to happen. Oh, they don't care about anyone. They just And there's obviously a lot of ill feeling in Durham mm. about too many students in Durham, apparently. <laughs> but the, the planning application had apparently been in for, since 2017. So they probably should have let Park Run know at some point. It's a bit rude of them not to. They planted nearly 400 trees on their course without <laughs> telling them. I think it's brilliant. Are they creating a new forest then or an arboretum? Like, I don't know. They've just been like... planning just to put a load of more trees in, which is fantastic. Yeah. But you think you'd let people know. <laughs> uh, they are back next week with a new course, though. 
So don't worry, anyone that does Darwin Park. And the new course is just like weaving around all the trees (laughs) and you get like 5k just in weaving. That'd be amazing. (laughs) Joining us now is Hope Virgo. Hope is a mental health campaigner, author of Stand Tall Little Girl and an ambassador for the Shaw Mind Foundation and most importantly, a runner. So Hope suffered with anorexia for over four years and is now at the stage of ongoing recovery and wants to use her experiences of mental health illness to champion the rights of others, inspire them to get well and help break the stigma of mental illness. Okay, so can you perhaps expand on that introduction a little bit? That's kind of your basic thing from your website we've got there, but kind of what's what's your version of that? Um, So I developed anorexia when I was about 12. So I developed it, I think, due to a number of reasons. I quite like to fix everything. Um, I don't really like feeling emotions and I quite like to have control over everything that's going on around me and when I was about 12 I didn't feel like I had any of that control and I started to hear this voice in my head and it was this anorexic voice kind of telling me what I should and shouldn't be doing every day telling me what I should eat telling me how much exercise I should do and the more I listened to it the better I felt about everything and I kind of thrived off this kind of value and sense of purpose that it gave me I lived with that for the next four years and kept it secret from everyone around me No one really worked out what was going on, I think, Um, not until I was 16 when my school eventually got in touch with my mum and I had to go to the Child Adolescent Mental Health Services for about six months before being admitted to a mental health hospital because I was very unwell and my heart was failing. My skin was all this like disgusting yellowy colour and my hair was all falling out. And I ended up spending this year in hospital trying to recover, so learning about food exercise and learning to talk about how I felt and pretty much since then I've kind of been in this ongoing recovery phase I think I went through this phase when I left uni where I thought I was fully recovered and I was never going to get this voice in my head again and that life would just be amazing and I wouldn't stress about food or exercise but then I relapsed in 2016 and when I came through my relapse I realized that actually I probably am someone that's just going to manage it on like a month by month basis. And like that's totally okay to be like that. Okay. And all of those experiences led you to write a book? Yeah. So I wrote my book after I came through my relapse. So I wrote it for mainly three reasons. The first one was that I think there's this huge stigma with eating disorders that you have to look stick thin to have an eating disorder. And when I relapsed, I tried to get support um, and I couldn't get support because I wasn't underweight. And so I wanted my book to basically highlight this as a massive issue across society and across the NHS. I also wanted to paint like an accurate picture of recovery. I think quite often people think that it's really wishy-washy or it's really easy or people just never recover. So I wanted to basically show people that actually you can get to a place where you can manage food and exercise in a really positive way. And I think as well, because a huge part of my recovery is around exercise. And a lot of people with eating disorders don't like to talk about exercise because clinicians think that if you've had an eating disorder you shouldn't ever exercise again kind of all of that stuff comes with it so I wanted to talk in the book about actually how I use running as a really healthy way to manage my recovery. So running came in as part of your recovery then? Um, So I used to do it I was quite a good runner at school and then I got obsessed with it um, to the point that I'd be like running on the spot continuously in my bedroom for like and when I look back, I'm like, God, I don't know how I had the energy to do it. It must have been really boring, <laughs> like just running constantly. Um, but then when I came through my recovery in hospital the first time, they tried to get me to understand how I could use it in a positive way. And I think I have a very love-hate relationship with running. Sometimes I love it. Sometimes I, yeah, I absolutely hate it. But the 
anorexia sometimes makes me go running when I don't want to and that's when it's like this is really 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 shitty but I have to still do it so it's a bit of a like weird one really but I think now I try and use it in a really healthy way so I definitely have kind of learned my coping mechanisms and triggers with regards to it yeah I think uh, there's possibly quite a tendency with runners as well to be obsessive characters anyway because obviously a lot of people get into running and then they get into this and then this and then half marathons marathons ultras and there's that kind of mindset within runners anyway so I think it's actually really positive that you were told running could be a recovery tool rather than them saying to avoid it completely and worry about it yeah and I think quite often people are just told to completely avoid it mm-hmm. and like that they should never do it again so in that sense I think I was quite lucky that they were quite supportive of it okay so what's the reaction to your book been so mostly really positive so I've had really good reviews on Amazon which is really nice and people quite often get in touch telling me that it's helping and stuff like that um but then the flip side is I have also had some really nasty messages I got really badly trolled last year on Twitter after I went on the telly to talk about my book because people were like you're not anorexic you're like this fat anorexic person and like I kind of can put up with that now but at the time I was a bit like oh god this is really bad um but I'm definitely pleased I've done it it's a bit weird having like your whole life story out there and everyone knowing kind of the strange things that I used to do and whatnot but I guess yeah it's out there now so I don't really have a choice about it so I kind of just embrace it. It's interesting we say about the that idea of being too overweight or not being underweight enough to be anorexic and I think there's possibly as a 16 year old girl you probably would have seen it probably would have been easier for people to accept that because that's what people expect someone with anorexia to be so there was obviously also a problem with men with anorexia and other eating disorders as well not being taken seriously yeah no definitely and actually I know quite a lot of guys who struggle with food and they go and try and get support and they just cannot get it at all and also then I think guys don't feel able to reach out when they're struggling because they're like oh it's just a teenage girl's illness there's no need for me to bother like I clearly don't have this thing the matter with me um, it was a few episodes now. We found a story about Red S. Uh, it was on episode six. We spoke about that and we thought that was really, really interesting. And obviously this kind of ties in with you um, quite well. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about, I know perhaps it's not something that you have direct experience with, but could you tell us a little bit about it and what can happen with people with that? Um, so with Red S, you become a, you're obsessed with exercise and you stop having your periods. You might get you're more likely to get things like stress fractures or break a foot or whatever it might be because your bones are weakening because you're not having your uh, periods around that. And I think the problem is, is quite often it goes completely undiagnosed. I know when I did the marathon a couple of years ago and actually when I did a half marathon um, when I was in the middle of my relapse, my periods completely stopped because I was training way too much and probably didn't have enough fat on me or whatever it might have been and then my body was much more prone to injury but I think the problem is is when you are running that much and you don't have your periods you are also quite often running faster than you were before which is what the issue is is because then you get this thrill of running that fast and then you then don't really want to tackle the whole thing about not having your periods and I think as well I read something the other day about how people who are runners and then they go in with an injury like a fractured foot or whatever it might be their, their clinician should be asking that individual if they still have their periods or not, because quite often they don't. And actually, if they did that, then they could work out whether that individual is exercising too much or what it might be. And that could be another factor around it. 
Because this is often, we talked about this often, something that's more associated with elite runners, isn't it? You hear about elite runners uh, pushing themselves to that edge. But I think amateur runners are particularly at risk because they don't have a coach that's giving them good nutrition advice and all those. You know, it's like Mo Farrell will probably be right on the edge of possibly being underweight so he can get a few seconds off his PB. But he has a coach that's making sure it's not unhealthy and all these sorts of things. So I think amateur runners can be particularly at risk. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think as well, like when you're a runner as well, like, you have one maybe you go for like a really good long run and then you might have a bad day of running so then you think the next day you should run even harder and even longer to try and push yourself further and then it is that like obsessional thing kicking in isn't it where you're constantly pushing yourself even further and trying to get like the best time you've ever had and I've noticed as well quite a lot recently actually people running like three four times a day to try and get like to get faster and stuff and my thing is like actually if you run that much you're probably going to be getting slower because your body's going to be knackered but then I guess when you're so obsessed with doing it and so driven to get to a time that actually in your head it probably makes sense that if you run fast if you run more you're going to get faster you're going to get thinner all of that stuff kind of adds up yeah there's that basic kind of logical thing of if you weigh less you it will be easier for you to run which you know to an extent is true and you know when you're an elite athlete but Obviously, there's a real danger then of people not recognizing food as fuel for the training. And it's rather it's something that they feel they have to earn or they feel guilty about, which is a really dangerous path to be on, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that with things like Red Ass, I think like psychologically, that's when your whole understanding around food changes and you become more obsessed and see it. Yeah. Like you said, like you can only eat a carb if you've been for a really long run that day. And if you haven't run as fast as you wanted to, you don't deserve to have that carb. And I think all of those psychological things that come alongside it is the really dangerous part. What are the kind of symptoms of it? Do you think, how would you perhaps spot that in yourself and potentially kind of for your friends, people you're running with? I know that could be a tricky issue to bring up with someone, but if, you, if you're worried about someone, uh, what are the kind of things you might be looking for? So I think for me personally, the whole running thing is when I have days when I go for a run and I don't want to be doing it, I know that it's becoming an obsession again or a day when I run in the morning and then I'm like, oh my God, I run really badly. I need to go again. Or when I give myself a rest day and I'm starting to get really agitated about it. And I think you can spot all of that change in mood in people around you, particularly like if you're with someone for a longer period of time and you notice that actually on one day they don't run, they are getting really agitated and anxious all the time about it. And it's that point that actually they're probably getting a bit of an obsession with exercise I think also that whole thing just generally around the whole food related stuff with running in that actually when people are running or running too much or developing an eating disorder or developing that unhealthy relationship, they then get more agitated at all meal times and start to cut out various foods and are much more conscious about what they're having. And I think that is quite easy to spot. Um, it's tricky because I think there's a really thin line between people starting out on a diet and then it turning into something much more, particularly at the moment, because there's so much like healthy eating and healthy exercise and calorie counting like everywhere it's ridiculous yeah it could be quite difficult to spot someone who's gone to the cafe and they've thought well actually I'm just going to have a nice light meal because that's all I really want and that's a good healthy thing for me to have Uh, but then it's when is that going just a little bit too far are they then going for another long run later that day and things like that and I think it's when it stops you living your life and like Mm. doing things you want to do so I always say like if you've got a friend who goes out for dinner with you once every three weeks and or won't go to restaurants where she can't get like a salad or something like that or is starting to go less and less out for dinner that's when there's a problem but if someone's happy to go out and get a pizza 
then there's probably less of a problem around the food issue and the running issue and all of that sort of stuff as well. I think as well, maybe you could notice it if you've got friends who like drinking and then suddenly one day they don't really want to drink anymore because they know they have to get up really early the next morning to go for a really long run, then actually that's probably a sign that something's not quite right as well. I suppose it's just about the, that rapid behaviour change rather than someone kind of, you know, you might make that decision not to drink, but if if that's a big departure from their usual behavior that's a sign yeah no definitely and I think when you notice things like that it's so difficult to say anything and quite often with yeah. I think things like this when it's an exercise obsession or an eating disorder related issue people like don't want to talk about it and they'll be in this complete denial phase I know for me when I got diagnosed with anorexia I was in like complete denial even after being at CAMS and then even like on my first day in hospital I was like I don't have anything wrong with me I'm fine like I definitely don't have anorexia and I think because your whole body image is completely distorted that's part of the reason so I think when you then have those conversations with your friends quite directly you have to be really patient and then go back to them like six weeks later and be like actually I'm still really worried about you what are you doing about this? I think it can be difficult as well to get help if you know you have this obsession with exercising um, because of course exercising is presented to us as this healthy thing you know it's always healthy and we need to exercise more and so I think if people get an obsession with it it can be quite difficult then to get help I suppose. Yeah no that makes sense definitely and I do think people I think particularly like when you hit things like January where mm. we're like bombarded with messaging around exercise and eating certain foods and stuff it can be really difficult to not feel kind of swayed by that. And I know like the gym that I go to in January is so busy. And then like you get to February and it starts to thin out a little bit and less people are there. But actually, yeah, I guess it's the pressure of everyday life, isn't it? And when people start to just become so focused on calorie counting and exercising a certain amount a day, that's when it's like you have to try and tackle that issue. Mm. I suppose it, I'm thinking of the campaign that Time to Talk have done recently about asking twice. So yeah. you're asking someone are you okay? And they say, yeah, of course I am. But then you just ask again, are you actually okay? Or just just reaffirming that you you are concerned. You're not just doing it out of politeness. I think that's possibly a good thing to think about. Yeah. And to keep being, yeah, to maybe be a little bit pushy at times as well, to mm -hmm. be like, actually, you're definitely not okay. What is the matter? But I do think actually for like, I know with some of my friends and stuff, like when we go running together, we do always like, we do have very in-depth conversations about like our emotions yeah. and our mood. And obviously, like, it's when we're not running quite as fast, probably, that we talk about stuff. But it's quite nice because actually you're not looking at that person. You're just running next to them. And at any point, one of you could run off if the conversation gets too much. So I think actually you could use running in a positive way like that to try and have more of those direct conversations. I think as well, I mean, as someone who has mental health issues myself, when I've been in sort of the depths of depression, if somebody was to tell me to go for a run, I would have been like, no way, of course, you know, it's not as easy as that. But I think once you're at the stage where you're sort of maintaining and you're maintaining things in everyday life and maintaining your mood, running can be really beneficial in that maintenance stage in terms of just lifting your new mood, um, releasing endorphins, things like that. No, yeah, definitely. I completely agree. Actually, I do always encourage people to, when I'm doing like work in hospitals or schools or whatever it might be to try and get a little bit of exercise into their kind of routine, whether it's like three or four times a week I think it does massively help. It's something we spoke about a little before was how you, people do run for their mental health and it can help but I think is there a risk of people relying on that too much and just thinking well I'll go for a run and everything will be fine? Yeah and I think that's when it becomes an obsession so I know for me in the past and actually particularly when I relapsed um, I used to go running because I thought that if I ran a certain distance or a certain length then somehow my whole situation would be fixed and would be okay 
and I had to do it all the time and it meant that I wasn't actually really tackling other issues and I remember when I did a half marathon when I relapsed I became so fixated on having like this perfect training plan and I like overtrained massively I still don't really know how I did the half marathon because I was knackered when I actually came to it but actually like you get so obsessed with trying to be the best at running that you don't tackle anything else that is going on and I think yeah I guess it just masks what you're actually really feeling because you're just focusing on one thing you mentioned earlier about January there's a lot of stuff about diets in the news and the media and people uh, have that pushed on them I just wonder I guess your opinions on them aren't going to be great but there's certain things within running as well of demonizing particular food groups like you have to avoid this or you have to eat this that really aren't helpful either are they no I think the whole that whole messaging is just completely wrong and I think my biggest frustration with that whole diet culture and the whole you can't eat this you can't eat that if you're going to be a runner is actually like it's really triggering for so many people and I think actually like I know we can't control all the advertising and whatever but I think as society we should kind of do something about that and we have a duty of care to everyone around us to actually not be like talking about all of those messaging all the time because it is really difficult and I've got friends that you go out for dinner with and they're like I can't have that because I'm doing a marathon on Sunday and you're like but why like it's fueling your body in a different way and I think instead of cutting out food it's about encouraging people to have a more varied diet I recently went into a school actually in um, southwest London and on um, one of the like boards in one of the rooms they had this whole thing on calories and it was like if you have this amount of calories then you've got to burn off this amount and it was always more and it was like you should be doing this much running if you're having 100 calories and it's just like and I was like this is in a school like yeah. all of these young people are going to be like looking at this messaging and just be like thinking that's actually how they should be living their life and I thought it was absolutely appalling. Yeah. there's a trail running magazine and they do the same thing they have a little section and every month um, in each issue they have if you want to eat like this chocolate bar and this meal then you need to do um say an hour of trail running and they have a different food they have different foods every every month and different like lengths of running you'd have to do it's just ridiculous and i know like <laughs> frustrating thing is it's like we are like there is an obesity crisis and so people think that we should be encouraging that kind of eating and that kind of behavior but then at the end of the day there's so many people who struggle with food mm. like the other end and it's like actually this is just not helping any of that sort of stuff yeah it's really it's really just not that simple as well no. if like you put 100 calories in and you do 100 calories out as if that's it like the body does so many other things with mm. food mm. You know, there's all kinds of things going on. It's just it's such an oversimplification and it's really dangerous. People aren't, as you said, they're not going to be having that varied diet, which is going to be better for them. There's also a big emphasis in running for weight loss and weight loss alone, which is obviously can be something that comes from running, but really shouldn't be the most important thing. No, it shouldn't be. And actually, I did see an article probably last year now in the guardian and someone had written about how the reason the reason they run is because it's the best form of sport to give them a completely flat stomach and i read it and was like oh my god like maybe i should be running more to get a flat stomach and then i was like no like don't get involved in this and actually loads of people i know contacted the guardian because they were like this article is ridiculous like it's really triggering headlines for so many people but i think it is that whole focus isn't it like we shouldn't be focusing on doing running for weight loss we should be focusing on doing it because we want to do it or because we enjoy it or because it's good for us just generally for like our brains and everything yeah so aside from the mental health aspects uh what is the most bullshit thing about running for you probably the damage it does to my feet yeah uh, so currently I've got actually this is so gross I only noticed it like an hour ago as well I've got a massive blood blister on one of my toes like in between my big oh. 
middle toe, which is so gross. Um, oh. And I don't really have any nails on my toes because of all my running. Excellent. It's the worst thing for me. <laughs> I say, you go and get your nails done and like the people in the salon just look at your toes and you're like, I don't have anything to paint. <laughs> I, I have had a conversation during an ultra with a friend about painting your toe stumps to pretend you have nails. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> oh, toe stumps, that's awful. <laughs> it's running or toenails, it's a choice, you can't have both. No, that's true. It's gross though, I hate all the feet stuff. <laughs> I don't mind a good nasty foot, foot photo on uh, Twitter or Facebook though, I know people don't like to share them, I think, yep, yeah, share them, share the love. <laughs> I'll start sending you mine. Oh, terrific. <laughs> um, is there anything you've got to plug? Obviously you've got the book, but is there any other work you're doing at the moment that you want to kind of get out there? Um, so I'm doing, um, so I've launched a campaign last July called Dump the Scales. And the campaign is about getting the eating disorder diagnosis guidelines implemented properly across the NHS so that people with eating disorders aren't turned away for not being thin enough. It is something that happens on a daily basis, like hundreds of people are just not able to get support because their BMI is too high, but mentally they're in a really bad place. And when you turn someone away for support who's got an eating disorder, they're kind of left in that lurch but also they quite often get really suicidal they don't know how to cope but then they also have that whole competitive nature where actually they think oh my god I've got to get really skinny before anyone takes me seriously um so I launched that and I'm working with the government um to try and change it which is going quite well but we still haven't got 100,000 signatures so it's been a bit of a frustration but it's eating disorder awareness week in a few weeks so we're using that as a time to really push it so it'd be awesome if people could sign the petition um, and share it as well. In Wales, we've had a huge amount of support from Chris Evans, the MP who struggled with body dysmorphia um, when he was growing up. So he's come forward very openly and talked about his personal experience. And also the Welsh Assembly members are all quite keen to get behind it, um, quite randomly. <laughs> See, like It's quite nice because then it's quite, it's good for the campaign. And I think in Wales, the eating disorder service is probably slightly worse, I've heard, than in England, if it is that mm. is possible. So it's quite good that they actually want to change it and get really, really involved with what's going on. Okay, that's fantastic. Well, we'll definitely share it as well. Hopefully people have heard that and they haven't turned off after hearing about your blood blisters from earlier. <laughs> so we'll definitely share that as well. Uh, thank you very much. Your book is available on, on Amazon and yeah. reputable booksellers online, I'm sure. They definitely, yeah. And it's called Stand Tall Little Girl. Yeah, perfect. Uh, Hope, thank you very much for coming on the show. Have you got any races or anything coming up? Um, I don't know. I'm thinking about doing... um a duathlon actually Ooh. I don't like swimming so I can't do the swimming part mm. so I thought I might do yeah so that's not till September and then one of my friends is trying to convince me to do the running part of their triathlon <laughs> which I feel like is a bit of a cop out because it's only one part of the race yeah but you can tell everyone I did a triathlon I probably will still do that <laughs> yeah, of course you will that's great thank you very much thank you okay. And that was our interview with the wonderfully named Hope Virgo. Please follow her on Twitter. She is Hope Virgo. There's not that many of them. And please support her campaign to dump the scales. There is a change.org petition. It's nearly at 70,000 signatures at the moment, which is fantastic. And that is the campaign to stop being weighed, basically, before you get help for uh, eating disorders. Oh, fantastic, yeah. So we will post that link in lots of places. It'd be fantastic if you could sign that and share it as well, please. Amy, have you got anything terrible coming up you mean in life in general or running related well you know we can i think we're at a point now we can expand out into these things <laughs> um, people want to know about you amy do they though <laughs> no, i was just trying to build you up oh 
the same thing I do every every episode is just I've been quite lazy with my running this past week. I was supposed to go on a long run this morning, didn't do it. You know, been busy with work and stuff. Same old stories, stories, excuses, same old excuses. So yeah. my um, ambition, as always, is to stop making up excuses and to actually start running. And you know, what? I think my motivation will be to actually start running more, so I won't have to say the same thing every time when you ask me this question. Yeah, if you want Amy to run more, please send her abuse on Twitter. <laughs> That would be terrific. That's all I get. Is you, you, every time I go for a run, you're like, oh, so you actually went out for a run today. Like, that's not helpful. Why not? <laughs> because I need positive reinforcement, not negative telling me off. Well, if you run more, you wouldn't get that. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Get over yourself. <laughs> so what have you got coming up then? I haven't got bullshit. What I've got in a couple mm. of weeks' time, if I don't get injured at yoga again, 250th park run. Bloody hell. You know what? When you put 250 park runs, I thought that meant that was some sort of challenge you were going to do. No. And you were going to run 250 well, park it, runs. Well, it has been like... a challenge I've been doing over the last seven years. <laughs> seven years, yeah. That's a bit, you know, maybe up your game a bit and try and do that in a weekend. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> To celebrate 250 park runs in a weekend. How far would that be? 1,250 kilometres. So that would be nice. That's yeah. coming up. Congrats. Are you taking cake? Probably. You could have something like printed on the front, you know, on the top of the cake. It's oh, a lot of effort, though, isn't it? it is, yeah. I think people should buy me cake. I always think that. Like, I know people take their own cake to their part runs, but it's yeah. like everyone else should get it. Yeah, yeah, I deserve it. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with the show, please tweet us at Running Is BS. Uh, give Amy reasons why she should run. Uh, also go on Facebook, Running Is Bullshit. We love your comments on there, and you can also email us, runningisball at gmail dot com. And just because the competition's over, doesn't mean you can't keep reviewing us. That'd be nice yeah. if yeah. you want. Keep the um, <coughs> positive <coughs> reviews coming in. Yeah, ideally. Yeah, because if you do a negative one, we'll report you to iTunes. Yeah, we'll, say, we'll get Bobby on you. Bobby yeah. will be straight on there. Yeah, she'll be deleting all. That's what maybe that's why we didn't get any negative. Ah, oh, that's probably why. Bobby like has like a firewall where yeah. she stops them, and she's like Winston at the Ministry of Truth, where she's like, nope, change it, change it. Yeah, but she's not been in touch. She's obviously a little shy about it, and that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. We like her for that. <laughs> and congratulations again to Sarah, who will be getting a cool new running bag. Yeah, Sarah, tell us how it goes. Get in touch and tell us how you're enjoying your new running back. Absolutely. So thank you for listening once again to Running Is Bullshit. We'll see you again soon. See you later, bros. They're not going to move, making no effort. I will shoulder check a bitch.